Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here, The Eric Erickson Show. Welcome, the phone number, 877-973-7425. I have to correct something I said in the first half of the, well, the the end of the show. I said uh, 21 terrorists crossed the border from Mexico into the United States last year that we know of was wrong. It's 23, not 21. Here's Fox's uh, Bill Malugan. I've obtained a CBP record through a Freedom of Information Act request, which reveals that last year there were 23 known or suspected terrorists who were encountered here at our southern border. Take a look at this graphic right here, and we'll dive into the numbers for you. What you're looking at are hits on the TSDB. That is the Terrorist Screening Database, which is maintained by the FBI. You can see the breakdown sector by sector. There were four hits in San Diego sector, four in El Centro, two in Yuma, two in Tucson, three in El Paso, four in Del Rio and four in the Rio Grande Valley sector. Again, this was for 2021. And keep in mind, these are only the ones that they caught, only the ones they know about. That's the key point here. Those are the ones they caught. Those are the ones they know about. I want to acknowledge out of the gate, because I do think uh, as a matter of intellectual honesty, it's important to know this and to state it for the record. Joe Biden is actually in a difficult position with the border. Donald Trump used a somewhat novel reading of Title 42 uh, related to immigration and border control to have the Surgeon General issue regulations that prohibit uh, individuals from coming into this country during the pandemic. It was the, the the legal proposition was based on the pandemic. As the pandemic winds down, based on the way the regulation was structured by the Surgeon General, Title 42 has to go away. Now, interestingly enough, uh, a number of very vocal Democrats who have supported getting rid of Title 42 are now coming forward and saying, whoa, don't get rid of it. Raphael Warnock, the senator from Georgia, who routinely assailed the racism and white supremacy of the Trump administration, supposedly so, uh, for uh, his immigration handling of the border, suddenly is in favor of Title 42. Mark Kelly of Arizona, in favor of keeping Title 42. The senator from uh, Nevada, Cortez Masso, in favor of keeping Title 42. Senator Hassan of New Hampshire, in favor of keeping Title 42. They want to keep Title 42 because they're afraid of a swarm across the border. In fact, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement, according to the Washington Times, is getting ready to release as many as 600,000 illegal immigrants into communities before the end of September, the agency told a federal judge, giving an early estimate of the chaos the administration is predicting after it ends the Title 42 pandemic border shutdown. U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement revealed the figure in a court filing dealing with how it plans to handle illegal immigrant children who arrive as part of the surge. 
Dean Darty, ICE, ICE's juvenile coordinator, wrote in the filing that the Homeland Security Department expects a historic border surge with protections forecasted to triple current arrivals. The coordinator said ICE expects to catch and release more than 3,000 illegal immigrants from the border every day, up from 774 a day in March. Biden is backed into a corner in this, uh, somewhat ironically. The Trump administration used Title 42 to secure the border in ways Democrats would not allow. He was able to bypass them, but because the pandemic fades away, Title 42 must go away. There's no legitimate basis legally to maintain the Title 42 pandemic exclusion if Joe Biden is going to say the pandemic is over. If Joe Biden wants to continue the pandemic and say there's a continued pandemic, then he can keep it. But if he does that, the Democrats are toast in November. And if he doesn't do that and the border is flooded, the Democrats are toast in November. He's painted himself into a corner because the Democrats have refused to do anything to secure the border because they have been convinced that if they flood the border with illegal aliens, those illegal aliens can go to cities in California and New York where they allow non-resident, non-citizen voting for local elections and they can pack in the Democrats at local elections. Now, those laws are probably going to be declared unconstitutional within the year, but right now they'll do their best to to move them into those cities where non-citizens get the right to vote. The problem, however, is Democrats really thought, they really thought, and this is why it's so bad to rely on people within your bubble all the time. Democrats have really presumed that if they are loose with immigration, if they support an open border, and they allow the settlement of illegal aliens into this country, They will be rewarded by Hispanic Americans for not being racist. Listen, I know there are a lot of theories from a lot of people out there, but I'm right on this one. Don't doubt me on this one. This is the truth of the matter. The Democrats have so internalized identity politics. This has not been a matter of them wanting to flood illegals into into the country to build a brand new base of Democratic voters. That's what everybody on the right presumes, and you're all wrong about it. I'm right on this. Don't doubt me on this one. Let me explain this one to you. The primary reason the Democrats support open borders and allowing illegal immigrants into this country is not to build a new class of voter from these illegal immigrants by giving them amnesty. That's not it at all. What it is, is the Democrats are so uh, bought into identity politics, they know that Hispanic voters in the United States are the largest voting demographic up for grabs. Hispanic voters in this country have leaned Democrat, but not enough to secure their fortunes. So Democratic policy walks, totally drinking from the identity politics fountain, have internalized that if we show ourselves to be tolerant and allow illegal immigrants to come into this country, existing Hispanic Latino voters will move more in the Democratic direction because we'll be seen as the non-racists. We'll be seen as the tolerant ones. We'll be seen as the ones who love Hispanic Latino voters. What they failed to realize 
is that while they embrace identity politics, Hispanic voters don't. The longer Hispanic voters stay in the United States, they view themselves as American, not Hispanic, and as white. And so as they stay in this country, they become more conservative. And this issue, ironically, the Democrats are all in favor of open borders to allow these people to come into the country so that existing, not new, but existing Hispanic Latino voters will start voting for them because they're not racist and actually it's alienated them. Fox News allowed Rachel Campos Duffy to do a roundtable with Hispanic voters along the border. I want to play this segment. Listen to this. Is illegal immigration cheapening citizenship? Yes, ma'am. It's not fair for folks like my family, folks that I know, that are doing things the right way and then willy-nilly let someone else come in and not do things the right way. It's unfair for all parties involved. Biden's message is, come on over, we'll help you, you'll get something, we're here for you. They're gonna need the government to survive. So the end result of that is socialism. Yeah. Yeah. We don't want socialism. Uh, yeah. I don't know why the music's in the background. I guess it was part of the promo there. But um, yes, Hispanic voters, where did they come from? Central and South America. Why did they come here? Because those governments are failing them. They're not safe and they can't get jobs. Why are they not safe and can't get jobs? Because those governments embrace socialism. So the Hispanic Latino voters who fled Central and South America who came to this country don't want socialism. And they understand that if you overwhelm the border with illegal aliens, you're going to have to expand the social safety net to take care of them. And to do that, you get more socialism. Also, it cheapens, as the first man said, it cheapens what it means to be an American. They actually took the time to come here and do it legally. Also, there's something else. Along the border, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, California, overwhelmingly, Border Patrol agents are Hispanic. So the Democrats attacking the Border Patrol is an attack on Hispanic Americans. Jen Psaki has refused to apologize for what is now a debunked claim uh, about the Border Patrol whipping the migrants. Uh, remember this? There was the, the video and the photographs. It looked like the Border Patrol agents were beating illegal immigrants with whips. There was major outrage from Democrats. It's been investigated. Uh, it turned out it wasn't so. It wasn't real. It wasn't happening. And the White House is refusing to apologize for smearing the Border Patrol. This is an attack on those families. They can't get any of this stuff right. I mean, just let's go back to the masks for just a minute. Let's just go go to the masks for just a minute. Two weeks ago, the Biden White House could have gotten rid of masks, said the pandemic is over. Live your life. You don't need a mask anymore. He could have taken a win. It would have arguably helped him in the polling because 53% of Americans, 53% of Americans, not 53% of registered voters or likely voters or Republicans or independents, 53% of adult Americans are now opposed to the mask mandate. The Biden administration two weeks ago could have said, we're done, get rid of it, and taken all the credit, held a, held a big campaign rally, 
said he, he we've we've conquered the virus we can go back to normal instead they allowed the cdc to punt to may 2nd and in the meantime a federal judge has said it's unconstitutional and biden cannot claim any credit for it now now if if something goes wrong and there's a spread of the virus he can blame a trump appointed judge but he could have taken credit for something that now he can't take credit for. And in this situation, he's blaming Border Patrol agents for whipping people and now won't apologize. His Border Patrol is undermanned, understaffed, outgunned, overwhelmed. They're about to allow a flood of illegal aliens in. 23 known or suspected terrorists were found last year. How many more came that we don't know about? They are deteriorating the stability of the border, and they have no solution for it. Moderate Democrats are now starting to say we need a physical barrier at the border. They don't want to say wall because that'll sound like Trump. So they're saying a physical barrier. Biden is refusing to budge on the issue. Here's Mitch McConnell. I think the president's richly deserved his approval ratings, which are well below 40 now. The biggest mistake was the $2 trillion so-called American Rescue Plan that was passed about a year ago on a party-line basis. Yep, and also the border disaster. When they came into office, I'll just leave it this way. When they came into office, Donald Trump handed them a way to keep illegal immigrants out of the border, off the border, and keep them in Mexico. The Biden administration began to slowly undo that. They should have seen last summer, as those waves of people were coming across the border, that they would have to do something about Title 42. They knew if they beat the virus, that Title 42 was going to have to go away. By law, it was going to have to go away. They can't keep it in perpetuity. And they did absolutely nothing. How? For the love of all that is decent and holy in this world, how are the people in the White House so bad at politics? I'm just fascinated. The New York Times has a piece about how in real time people learned that the federal judge had uh, thrown out the mask mandate. It was no longer enforceable. In flights across America, some of them on the tarmac, some of them already in the air, pilots came across and announced that uh, the federal mask mandate had gone away thanks to a federal judicial order, and people on planes no longer had to, to wear them. Most people cheered, applauded. The New York Times focused on the people living in fear, living in fear, despondent, that the mask mandate had gone away. Ms. Tansley said her family hadn't been on a flight since Christmas 2019 out of concern about the virus. She has asthma. She said she wasn't sure whether she would go ahead with her work meetings or what her family would do about the return flight home on April 25th. She was with her two children, a four-year-old and an eight-month-old, both too young to be vaccinated, the baby too young for a mask. She was on her way to a work meeting involving a colleague with a rare autoimmune disease, and her family had undergone PCR tests because they were worried about potentially infecting him. I was scared. All I could do was hope it's going to be okay. There wasn't any other option. It's not that the mask mandate has changed that upset me. It's that we boarded the plane under one set of rules and made a decision as a family and as a work group. The decision was made for us mid-flight. Your one child wasn't wearing a mask anyway. 
we lived through the swine flu epidemic of 2011 that killed 200,000 people. People forget about that. We've lived through flu seasons. We've lived through seasons where they didn't detect the flu strain properly, and a lot of people got the flu even though they got the flu shot. And no one wore a mask. We're back to that now. You can wear masks. Scott Hessinger, a lawyer, was waiting for his delayed flight to New York at a crowded terminal in West Palm Beach. When the announcement came, the mandate had been lifted and passengers were free to board without their masks. The terminal erupted in a loud, sustained cheer and about half the travelers took off their masks. For this announcement to happen literally moments before we got on the plane made me feel very uncomfortable. About 75% of the people on the plane were unmasked. He worried about his wife and six-year-old son who were in the air on separate flights and route to Los Angeles. It hit me that my wife and young son would also likely get this announcement and be more exposed than usual. I was upset, uncomfortable, and frustrated. Nobody's preventing you from wearing an N95 mask. I just, I can't, honest to goodness, y'all, I'm sorry, I try to be empathetic and relate. I can't relate to this. I can't. We lived through epidemics of disease, and we never had a problem. And on top of that, we shouldn't forget that on airplanes, on airplanes, now I realize you're, you're boarding and all of that, but, but on an airplane, the air renews itself every three minutes. Not only that, the airflow goes straight down. There was a research study by the federal government last year that 99.8% of COVID viral particulate is removed from the air before it can even get near the person sitting next to you. Not the person in front of you or behind you, but the person right next to you in the middle seat or the aisle or the window. 99.8 gone. In other words, it's not transmissible on airplanes. There's never been a known case of anyone on an airplane getting it from the person sitting next to them, even before the mask mandate. And these people are in perpetual fear and they're upset. Their lives are shattered. They don't have to fly. But to tell me I'm loving my neighbor, so I need to put my mask on, is to tell me to lie because the mask ain't gonna do you a bit of good because no one's ever forced us all to wear N95 masks. So you're telling me I have to lie to love my neighbor? That's not really loving your neighbor. It's letting them live in a deluded state. And I don't think that's a good thing for society. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be a part of this here program, you are allowed if you can get past the call screener. Now, we gotta move on to other stuff. I mentioned this yesterday. I, I didn't foresee what was going to happen today, uh, but I certainly did foresee that it was going to happen. I mentioned Reedy Creek to you yesterday. Uh, Reedy Creek is the um, area of Florida. I think it's 34, 37 square miles. It, it's, it's, you could fit the island of Manhattan in it a whole bunch of times. It's, it's massive amount of land that Walt Disney purchased in the 50s and 60s, very hush-hush, purchased a lot of land, tied it all together, and got the state of Florida to authorize a tax improvement district called the Reedy Creek District. And it allows a, a the owner of the land 
autonomy in its development. So uh, essentially, it allows the owner of the land to be exempt from state regulations for environmental regulations and, and a number of other issues. It's a lot of land. It is Disney's land, and Disney controls it. And Disney controls it in such a way that they have say over local governments. It's a powerful, powerful entity. It also uh, allows them to keep a lot of the money generated there for internal developments instead of giving it to the state of Florida. Several million dollars a year. I want to say it's like $10 million or so uh, that the state of Florida could get that it stays internally for infrastructure improvements, among other things. This has been on the books since the 1960s, I believe, when the Florida legislature gave it. It's the largest uh, tax improvement district in the nation. And it may be going away now. Ron DeSantis has called the Florida legislature back into session. Now, the primary reason that they're going back in session is important. Ron DeSantis vetoed the state congressional district map. It wasn't aggressively Republican enough for him. And so he vetoed it. And in vetoing it, the state legislature said, enough, we surrender. We're going to let Ron DeSantis write the congressional district, uh, and we will just approve it. So he has drawn the congressional districts, and uh, they're coming back into session to approve it. And in calling the special session, DeSantis has added to the special session getting rid of the Reedy Creek Tax District, which it may be time for it to go away. I, I don't know. What I do know is that the reason we're at this point is because the wokes at Disney decided that they knew best and Florida should not be able to cater its values and its laws to the citizens of Florida. Keep in mind that the protesters, the Disney protesters who protested and got Disney to oppose the Florida parental rights and education law that they call the don't say gay bill, uh, those Disney protesters overwhelmingly were in California. They weren't even in Florida. The walkout, California. The Disney employees protesting, California. Overwhelmingly, that was the case. Now, not in every case, but overwhelmingly, that was the case. And they've tried to harass and steer Disney to take a position against the law in Florida. And now the Florida legislature and governor are responding by saying, if you're going to come after us, we're going to come after you. Let's see who has the bigger stick. The CEO of Disney is new, Bob Chapik. He should have never picked this fight. He should have stayed out of it. The only way to to win is to not play the game. And he tried to play the game, and he tried to find common ground. There can be no common ground between insanity and sanity. The only way to to do it is to just opt out and say, we're not getting involved. It's the state of Florida. We believe in the democratic process. If the people of Florida don't like this, they can undo it. If the people of Florida like it, they can support it. We're just a corporation. What I find deeply ironic here, my buddy Joe Cunningham pointed this out to me in text, is all the people who say corporations are not people are suddenly upset that Disney might impede or the state of Florida might impede upon Disney's free speech rights. They don't believe Disney's a, a person. They don't believe the First Amendment belongs to Disney. And now so, oh, you can't do this to Disney. It's their right of free speech. It doesn't matter. 
they can get rid of the Reedy Creek District. And the problem here that Bob Chapik and others should understand is that you really, if you play the game, you're going to lose. The game is designed by the craziest of the crazy. You cannot win the game. It's like the Mad Hatter's game in um, Through the Looking Glass or, or Alice in Wonderland. You, you, you cannot win the game. And you may think I'm joking here. You may think I'm joking, but the wokest of the woke find out they are not woke enough when Woko Haram gets involved. You're dealing with a terrorist group. They want your head. Listen to this story. This is the funniest story you're going to hear today. Accusations of transphobia are roiling a law clinic that spearheads campaigns to establish legal rights for lakes and rivers. Since last summer, seven of the 15 staffers or contract attorneys have left the nonprofit Community Environmental Legal Defense Fund which gained renown in recent years as a leader of the rights of nature movement to win civil rights for parts of the environment. Three of those who quit told E&E News the organization was divided by a toxic work culture that resisted efforts to make it more inclusive, including for LGBTQ people, importantly for trans people. Kyra Kelly, a former contract attorney, said a current CELDF staffer repeatedly misgendered transgender and non-binary people when referring to them in conversations. Kelly and another former staffer also said a different co-worker made comments about chemicals and water turning people transgender. I should have quit long before I did, said Kelly, who did legal work for CELDF before leaving the organization in November. Kelly used both they, them, and she, her pronouns and identified as agender, meaning they meaning she does not think of herself as having a gender. But notice Politico, this is how the sentence actually reads. Kelly uses both they, them, and she, her pronouns and identifies as a gender, meaning they do not think of themselves as having a gender. So she uses she, her pronouns, but doesn't think she's a she, her. In an interview, Stacey Schmader, the group's executive director, acknowledged hearing a staff member not using people's appropriate pronouns on staff calls, which she described as not respecting other people. But in a statement CELDF posted on his website in February, the group denied the accusation of a hostile environment. So what's going on here? This is, this is where this gets hilariously funny. You need to understand what CELDF is. Again, the actual name of the organization is the Community Environmental Legal Defense Fund. The Community Environmental Legal Defense Fund believes that your local pond and that pine tree in your backyard have civil rights. This is the organization. That's how wackadoo left they are. The Community Environmental Legal Defense Fund, CELDF, genuinely believes that your river, your stream, your creek, your pond, your pine tree have civil rights. I have uh, the, 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 the two top people on my team, Philip and Charlie, who I reference on this radio show. Charlie handles all the radio stuff. Philip handles all the digital stuff. Charlie hunts. Charlie likes to hunt. Gets him out of the house in the woods by himself. He can be alone 
killing deer. Philip likes to fish. Philip would rather be, he may be fishing right now. Philip would prefer to fish than have a real job. They need to understand, and you need to understand, that the Community Environmental Legal Defense Fund believes that the deer Charlie kills and the fish Philip hooks have civil rights and should have the ability to sue. The Community Environmental Legal Defense Fund was focused in Pennsylvania before spreading to other states internationally. They claim that Ecuador's 2008 adoption of a new constitution, including the rights of nature, is one of its major successes. In Toledo, Ohio, they helped push through the Lake Erie Bill of Rights, one of nearly 200 communities, to adopt a community bill of rights. It helped draft. They've gotten Patagonia and Leonardo DiCaprio and others to help them, the Annenberg Foundation. They did a big documentary about their work to block uh, a hydraulic fracturing waste system in Pennsylvania in the name of protecting the civil rights of the water. That's how far left they are. They believe the water can sue in court. They can sue on behalf of the water. They can sue on behalf of the deer. They can sue on behalf of the fish. And yet they're not woke enough for Woko Haram. One of the allegations of this organization, against this organization, is that uh, too many people within the organization are TERFs. Now, if you've watched the Dave's, I've watched the 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 closer, the Dave Chappelle special, where he talks about uh, J.K. Rowling. J.K. Rowling is a TERF. If you don't know what a TERF is, trans-exclusionary radical feminist. They are the radical feminists. But part of being the radical feminists is that uh, they believe that trans people can't be women. And there's an environmental group called the Deep Green Resistance. The Deep Green Resistance, y'all, this is the craziest stuff. The Deep Green Resistance is a turf group that advocates for the end of industrialized civilization. I want you to process that. The Deep Green Resistance is a turf group, a radical feminist group that wants the end of industrial civilization. Why? Because industrial civilization has been enslaving to femininity, among other things. And the Deep Green Resistance allied with the Community Environmental Legal Defense Fund. And the trans activists are upset about it. See, there's a lithium mine in Nevada. <clears throat> the Deep Green Resistance opposed the lithium mine, and they wanted the Community Environmental Legal Defense Fund to step in. Well, the transgender and agender people at uh, at CLED, CELDF are upset about it. If this all sounds very wackadoo to you, it should be. The moral of the story here is that you can't be woke enough for these people. I mean, the craziest of the crazy. You have this woman who worked there who says she's a he, she, her, but on some days says she's a they, them, and she finally quit because on a day that she wanted to be a they, them, someone used a she, her pronoun, and that was enough. She had to quit. And then they allied an environmental group, allied with another environmental group, 
that calls for the end of industrialized civilization, which these people all support, but they support it in the name of it oppresses women, but not just any women, only women, women who are always women, not women who at one point have been men because they believe that men can't actually become women because men can take advantage of the patriarchy and then convert to being women and they don't really know real persecution of women in industrial society. Cuckoo, cuckoo. And now the group is breaking apart. The moral of the story here goes back to Disney. You can never out crazy crazy. You can never out crazy crazy. You can do everything you think possible to show your allyship with crazy. But unless you go full crazy, you can't be crazy enough for Woko Haram. There is a moral of the story here for every corporation in America, from my parent company to yours. If you decide to go down the DEI woke space of transgenderism and the like, you are still going to be blown up. You'll either be blown up by the right for giving in or the left for not giving in enough. The only way to escape with your reputation intact is to not play the game and to recognize people differ on these issues and you're staying out of these issues. Wise corporations will learn from what's happening to places like Disney and this place. That the only way to win is to not play the game because the game is designed by crazy people and those crazy people, you're never, ever, ever going to out-crazy them. So stop trying to humor them. They're humorless to begin with. Now, given our economic state these days. Oh, there's some data out. The Democrats are suddenly realizing Donald Trump might get elected again and have a filibuster-proof Senate, and they're starting to freak out. They're starting to freak out in large part because, well, the economy. The economy is bad. We're seeing 40-year high inflation, interest rate hikes, increased gas prices. If you got $50,000 or more in your IRA, 401k, or other retirement savings, your money could be at risk. People realize this. You don't have many options, but you can protect your money with physical gold and silver. You can call Gold Co. at 855-904-5933. You're going to get a free wealth protection kit to learn how to use gold and silver to protect and grow your money. And my friends at Gold Co., are going to tell you how many of their customers get $10,000 or more in free silver with their orders. You can too. Gold Co. has helped thousands of Americans protect their retirement against inflation, stock market crashes. They can help you too, particularly in this day and age. We're back to the 70s in terms of the economy. That's when precious metals in your portfolio actually do you some real good. Now, if you want to reach out to Gold Co., you can call them 855-904-5933. Really easy, though, if you text ERIC to 33777, text E-R-I-C-K to 33777, I'll send you their number. Tell them I sent you. Talk to them. If you're interested in precious metal investing at all, given inflation right now, given the economy, now is probably the time to consider it. Text ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425. George Orwell. We always talk about uh, 1984, the book he wrote. He wrote another one, The Road to Wigan Pier. Jeff Greenfield in the Politico points this out that uh, Orwell wrote this book trying to answer the question, uh, if the ideals of socialism are so popular with the poor, why do they hate socialism? as an actuality, and in large part, 
Orwell came to the conclusion that it's not the socialism poor people object to, it's the socialists. And he wrote this book trying to, to advocate for socialism. Orwell was a socialist. And it, interestingly enough, he, he said this, uh, the horrible, the early disputing prevalence of cranks wherever socialists are gathered together dissuades people from socialism. One sometimes gets the impression that the mere words socialism and communism draw toward them with magnetic force every fruit juice drinker, nudist, sandal wearer, sex maniac, Quaker, nature cure quack, pacifist, and feminist in England. He wrote about how the prospectus for a summer socialist school uh, asked attendees if they wanted a vegetarian diet. The kind of thing is by itself sufficient to alienate plenty of decent people, and their instinct is perfectly sound. For the food crank is by definition a person willing to cut himself off from human society in hopes of adding five years onto the life of his carcass, a person out of touch with common humanity. You think? You think that this is one of the interesting things that the Democrats are having to contend with. And this is the point of Jeff Greenfield's piece in the Politico, that the Democrats' culture war problem is because the loudest voices in the Democratic Party now are Woko Haram, the crank people who would destroy you if you don't go along with their crank ideals. And more and more Americans are being turned off. Even if they might agree with an underlying ideal, they're not siding with these people because they're insane and everybody knows they're insane. 